All right. Good morning, everybody. Gabe told me that I say I'm excited to share this message with you way too often. So I'm not excited about this one at all. I could take it or leave it, to be honest with you. No. No. I, I, I say that all the time because I am. When God puts something on your heart and then I get to actually stand up and share it with you guys, to me that's exciting. It's exciting. I'm not just sitting here like, okay, I got to teach another message. And every single week that I do this, God speaks something fresh and new to me that I get to share with you. And so in, in my mind, there is nothing more excited about, exciting about that. So forgive me if I overuse the word excited, but, but uh, I am. Let's just go with it. But I am. So I want to, before I go into the message, just really quickly, um, well, I know we have a few visitors here. Welcome, guys. I'm so glad that you guys are here. Um, I will be hanging out in the foyer. My wife will be hanging out in the foyer. Our staff will. We would love to get to know you a little bit because our thing, when we, and Gabe mentioned it, and if you're new here, you may not know this, we started as a church on January 1st. So we're still kind of a baby church, but our vision and mission is to be a community, a community of believers who goes into our area, into our city, into our community, and we make a difference by being true doers of the word. That's what we're trying to do. And so when you hear Gabe talk about things like our Woolhurst outreach, like our lunch, Kaiser Elementary lunch outreach, like the Denver Rescue Mission, things that are coming up on our radar, I want you to do more than maybe you've done in the past and just say, okay, well, that's, that's a cool thing that the church is doing. That's cool that the church does that. I want to remind you that you are the church, okay? This building doesn't go out and do things, okay? I've, I've asked. I ask every week, and it just sits there, and in fact, it demands a lot of us. It doesn't participate much other than give a shade and a wonderful place to, to worship Jesus. So that's what, that, you guys are the church, you are the body. You are the church. And so when you see those things, I want you to really be honest with yourself and just pray about, should I be involved in this? Should I? I can sit and say, you need to do these things. But really, I want the Holy Spirit to convict you and to tell you what you can participate in, what you should, and to what level. Because that's where the true life comes in. I can tell you and I can, I can guilt you and cajole you into going out and doing these things, and we'd probably get a decent turnout but is there really life in that? When we're following what Jesus wants us to do and the word that the Holy Spirit puts on our heart, that conviction that he puts on our heart, there is life in it. It could be the hardest, most sweaty, dirty work that you've ever done, but there is such life when you follow what he's calling you to do. So all that just to say, I really want you to consider being involved in these things. And even though I'm leaving for a couple weeks to go do this in the other part of the world, I want you guys to remember, this is our community. And so these aren't just two throwaway weeks. We have Pastor Craig is going to be teaching next weekend. Pastor Jonathan is going to be teaching the weekend after that. So you have two very anointed teachers with the word that God is going to give them to share with you. So I want you to join them, not, not like, hey, this is a weekend to go, uh, to go hiking or to go do something else. Come here, support them, hear the word, hear what God has anointed them and is raising them up to do. So anyway, so enough about that. I want to get into the message right now. When I started thinking about this, of course, we're going into Sermon on the Mount. Last week, I talked about the Gospel of Matthew. I kind of set up what the Gospel of Matthew is, why it was written, how it was written, and, and a little bit about the Apostle Matthew himself. 
And it's important to realize that as we go into the Sermon on the Mount. So if by chance you missed the message last week, I would urge you to go onto our website, discovercommunity.church, and listen to last week's message. We've got it on there. It kind of lays the groundwork for what we're going into. But I'll give you a quick recap for those of you who kind of forgot that, at least the, the pertinent parts. But when I'm talking about the Sermon on the Mount, okay, we're in the book of Matthew, specifically chapters 5 through 7, which is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Like any good sermon, the Sermon on the Mount contains things about how we should live our lives, how we should live the godly life that Jesus actually gave himself up for, that he was able to reconcile us to the Father by doing that. And he didn't just do that so that we could have everlasting life. Okay? He didn't give us that just so that we could say, okay, I'm just going to waste my time here and wait until I get there. He gave that to us so that we could live the godly life here, and by doing that, we can draw others to him. We can be that example that draws people to Christ just simply by the way we live our lives. And so again, like any good sermon, there is a point to it. There's a point to the Sermon on the Mount. The point to the Sermon on the Mount is to show us that we need a Savior. We don't have the righteousness to do these things on our own. We need a Savior in the person of Jesus Christ. And the reason we need a Savior is because we also have an enemy. We also have an enemy in the devil who wants to take every single blessing that the Lord wants to give you, and he wants to twist it. And he wants to pervert it in your mind to where it no longer gives life, but now it's giving death. And failing that, he's just going to outright steal it from you. That's what the enemy does. And so Jesus came not only to give us eternal life and to reconcile us to the Father, but to also give us the tools, give us the weapons to fight against the schemes of the enemy who wants to steal from you. And that's the point of this sermon. That's the point of the Sermon on the Mount as we go into this. It's important to realize that the enemy will use anything to get at you. The enemy will use anything to steal the word that God gave you, including the word God gave you. He'll use the very word of God against you to keep you in a place of bondage, to keep you in a place where, okay, you're a believer, but I'm sure going to stop you from infecting anybody else with this knowledge of Jesus. Because I'm going to make you legalistic, and I'm going to make you hard to deal with, and I'm going to make you something less than an example of who Christ wanted you to be, so that you can't go do any more damage to the purposes of the devil. He'll use anything, anything to do that. And so as we go into the Sermon on the Mount, I want to kind of set the stage. So here we are, Matthew 4. We're going to be in the book of Matthew for the vast majority of this. Matthew 4, 23 to 25, kind of sets the stage of what's going on right here. Jesus was going throughout all of Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness among the people. The news about him spread throughout all of Syria, and when they brought to him all who were ill, and they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. People all over the region were beginning to see the power of this man, Jesus. 
This prophet who was walking around doing these miraculous signs and wonders, he was starting to become known. And people were curious about this, even including, it says here, the Decapolis. So what that means, the significance of that, you have obviously the Jews who Jesus came. This is God's chosen people, and he's teaching primarily to them when it says in the synagogues. But he also was traveling around to, to a region or a series of actually 10 cities called the Decapolis. The Decapolis were actually kind of Greek stronghold cities that were scattered all throughout the region. Okay, it's 10 of them. If you come to Israel with us next year, we'll actually get to, to see one of those original cities. But the point in that is that they were mostly Gentiles. They were in the Decapolis, mostly Gentiles. So when Jesus is traveling around doing these miracles and these signs and wonders and healing, casting out demons, all these things, is not only to a Jewish audience, but to a Gentile audience. And he's developing quite a following. People are seeing these things, and they are amazed. And so there's curiosity, and the buzz is spreading about Jesus all over the region. And so that's where we are. So they knew of the signs and wonders. They knew of the things that he had done, but very few of them truly realized who Jesus was. There might have been some who were, were, who were devout Jews and who would recognize who Jesus was through the Old Testament prophecies. They would have said, okay, I'm seeing this man, this prophet, this teacher is, is fulfilling a lot of these Old Testament prophecies. Maybe he is the promised Messiah. And so they would have started to have these thoughts, like maybe this is who this man is. But there are others who would have no idea who he was. And even the Jews who might have had a thought, is, this, is he, isn't he, we're still a little bit unsure. And so going back to last week's message, I established that the reason that the Apostle Matthew wrote the book of Matthew at all was that he wrote it to Jewish believers primarily. And he wrote it to establish who Jesus was. Jesus is the promised Messiah. Jesus is the rightful king of Israel. And by establishing those things, it lays the groundwork for the teaching that Jesus is about to deliver and the Sermon on the Mount. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. The Sermon on the Mount wasn't written down, and he's trying to point the other way. Okay, the sermon, the people who were witnessing the sermon, they didn't know. They didn't know who this was. And Matthew is simply, after the fact, trying to solidify that this is who Jesus was. In fact, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 1, starts out, and I mentioned this last week, and this is chapter 1, verse 1, of Matthew, and it says, the record of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew is very intentionally saying, this is who this man is. Pay attention to what he says. And it's important because only the prophesied Messiah, only the rightful king of Israel would have any right whatsoever to look at the law and say, I know what it says, but here's what I want you to know. Because these people were very well steeped with the Pharisees going around telling people, now if you haven't heard of the Pharisees, they were a very, very strict religious sect of Jews who interpreted the law by the letter. By the letter. And you may have heard about Pharisees used in the context of it, it just brought death everywhere that they were. And Jesus mocked them continuously. It was Part of his mission in life was to mock the Pharisees and show the hypocrisy of their ways. But now the Pharisees weren't necessarily bad guys. 
They were actually very well-meaning. They believed, if you remember again from last week, they believed that the reason that Israel, the nation, and the Jewish people were in, these, in this situation that they were in with a long succession of conquerors, okay, of, of heathen conquerors, was because they hadn't been following the law that was laid down to them generations ago. They believed that if they just did a better job following the letter of the law that the Lord put down in writing, delivered it to Moses, time and time again reconfirmed that law, if they just did a better job following that, then the Lord would bless them and deliver them from all of this. So that was their belief. So they weren't necessarily bad guys. But the problem is no one could ever live up to that. No one could ever live up to that. And in fact, History shows us that most of the Pharisees got tired of trying to live up to that and really lived a very hypocritical life, becoming an example of hypocrisy more than righteousness. And so that's what Jesus is railing against here as he goes on. As he goes through the Sermon on the Mount, we'll talk about this each week as we go through, but the point of that is to show us how to truly interpret the letter of the law. It's not to abandon the law and say, hey, forget all that stuff. It's to say, here's how you need to interpret this through love. It's what Jesus gave himself for. So as we start into this, Matthew 5, verses 1 to 2. This is chapter 5. The very beginning of it just kind of sets the scene for what we're going into. It says, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth, and he began to teach. That's where we are. Jesus had gone up onto the mountain, saw the disciples around him. Now, it says the disciples, you're picturing a group or two or three, but remember, it says from all over the Decapolis, everybody's hearing about this man, and they're flocking to him. So he's actually teaching to a huge crowd of people who have come, some out of curiosity, some out of wanting to verify in their hearts who this man really is. And so he begins very intentionally with a section called the Beatitudes. The first 12 verses fact, are what's called the Beatitudes. Beatitudes simply means supreme blessing. That's what that word transfers into, supreme blessing. Jesus starts out, he's going to do a whole bunch of teaching. In fact, the longest single teaching that Jesus ever did, he's going to do right here, but he wants to set the stage very carefully by giving a blessing and not giving people the opportunity to say, okay, let's take notes on the things that we should be doing. Okay? which is a lot of what the, what, what the Sermon on the Mount is. It goes through, here's how you should handle this situation. And it's very practical advice on how to live that, that life that would glorify God. But he starts out not by saying, here's what you should do. He starts out with the Beatitudes by saying, this is who you are. Let me start out by telling you who you are. If you are a follower of mine, this is who you are. And so this is where we start. He's teaching the nature of, of true righteousness, which can only come through Christ, versus the false righteousness, which is that that the Pharisees have been displaying for years. Look at me. Look how holy I am. Look how strictly I can follow the letter of the law. Never mind that it brings death to everyone around me. Never mind that it's very soon the letter of the law is going to cause them to crucify the Savior. Never mind that. Look at the letter of the law and how good I am and how good I can follow it. That's what Jesus is coming to teach against. So as we go in, Matthew 5, 
chapters 3 through 12. I'm going to read through it once, and then we're going to go through each individual one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And then finally, rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you notice, every single one of those verses, with the exception of the last one, starts out with the word blessed. All starts out with the word blessed. And our understanding, if I asked all of you to define what blessing means, probably most of you could do a pretty good job saying this is what blessing is. Blessings come from God. Blessings are gifts from God. It's, it's a blessing of healing. It's a blessing of abundance. It's a blessing of heaven. You would get all these things, and we could probably do a pretty good job defining what blessing means in our hearts. But the problem is, is that in the English language, we really only have one word for blessing, and that's blessing. So there's a whole range. I know, I gave it away. One word for blessing, and that's, what is it? It's blessing. There's a whole range of meaning that's attached to that, that we only have one word for. But as we've taught before, and, and if you don't know, the Hebrew language is very, very rich. And in fact, most other languages around the world are much, much more rich than ours. In fact, they'll, they'll have several words for the same idea or concept, or they'll break it apart into finer details of what that word means. And that's what's happening here. The word blessed in this, in this context, really translates more accurately as happy or content. Happy or content. Now, how many of you know that if you're happy and content, you're blessed? But true happiness, true contentment comes from living the kind of life that our Lord wants for us, the kind of life that Jesus gave us as the example. And so when Jesus is going through this, teaching these individual things, what he's trying to teach you is that happiness and holiness often go hand in hand. Happiness and holiness go hand in hand. It's hard to have one without the other. In fact, in Galatians, it's written, and this is Galatians, I didn't put it in your notes, but 522 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. Okay, the fruits of the Spirit Peace, uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Does that sound like it adds up, kind of follows those beatitudes? If you have those things, then you're living this kind of life. It's not always easy to have that kind of life and to have that kind of a mindset because it is all about our mindset. You can look at the same two situations. You can have the same two things happen to you. And depending on where your mind goes, that's how you react. Your mind can see everything that comes at you as a blessing from God, as an opportunity from God. Or you can see it as, why did this happen to me? Why are these things happening to me? And so as you go down through the Beatitudes, 
I want you to pay attention to what your mindset is when you hear, just when you hear the, the first verse. What's your mindset? If I was persecuted, if I was falsely accused, would my mindset be, oh, I'm blessed? Or would your mindset be, why me? Most often our mind goes to why me, and this is why Jesus is teaching about this. See, the world in general, and I would say the American culture, is very addicted to outrage. It's addicted to being outraged. And let me just personalize that. I am addicted to outrage. I watch news stories from all over the world, all over the country, all over the place, and I see what people say and what they do, and I'm like, why could they say that? I can't believe they could say that. I'll watch the news, wake up in the morning, turn on the news. It's the first thing I watch, and I'll hear some politicians saying something. I'm like, ah, that is crazy, and I'm outraged by it. I can't believe they did that. Or I see a school district in somewhere. They can no longer say the Pledge of Allegiance. They took the flag out. I'm outraged. Okay, many of us have had different situations like that, right? And with our 24-7 news cycle and everything constantly bombarding you, we don't even have to be outraged about things that are affecting us. We can be outraged about other people's things. We can be outraged about things that are happening all over the world that we will never have an impact on. We will never, it will never have an impact on us. We'll never know those people, but yet we can be outraged about it. And when the enemy's got you in a mindset of outrage and injustice... Look what's coming my way. Look what's happening. Oh, the world is just going. Now the enemy's got you. Because that's not where Jesus wants our minds to be. Jesus wants us to be heavenly minded and have our thoughts on him. In fact, in the Gospel of John, it says, verse 17, chapter 17, verse 16, Jesus is praying for his disciples. He's actually praying to his father for his disciples. And he says this, they are not of this world even as I am not of this world. And so he's trying to say that no matter what comes at him, no matter what comes at his disciples, no matter what comes at us, remember, we are not of this world. And so when we focus on the here and now, we're outside of what Jesus wants us. Jesus says, don't focus on the here and now. Look at the there and then. Look at the there and then. That's what his focus is. And so as we go through these, I want you to have that in mind as we go through this. Where is your mind? On the here and now or the there and then? So Matthew 5, verse 3. We're going to go through these one by one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, when I first read this years and years ago, what I thought the poor in spirit, what is a poor in spirit? Is that just somebody who, who is poor? Is that just a poor person? What is that? What it means is the poor in spirit is somebody who has a mindset saying, I don't know everything. I have nothing in myself. In my own power, I have nothing. I am poor in spirit, but through Jesus and my reliance on him, now I have everything. It's a mindset of saying, in, in my own, I am nothing. But through him, I am everything. That's what that means. Anything beyond your basic survival needs is a gift from God. Even, really, if you want to argue the point, air, water, food, those are gifts from God. 
But our mindset should be everything that we have is a gift from God. That's the poor in spirit. That's saying without him, I have nothing. I am destitute and I am broken without everything that he gives me every single day. It's a mindset of humility. It's not a place where he's saying, I've got this figured out and I can handle this and I can make this happen and I'm gifted at my job and I can do all these things. But it's a mindset. Because if the enemy's got you in a place where you're thinking, if you just work harder, if you just do more, if you were just a little bit smarter, now you could provide better for yourself. Now the enemy's got you. He's got you on a treadmill chasing your tail constantly. And are you going to be happy? Probably not. You might have more stuff, but if your mind is on, I have to get more stuff, versus the Lord's going promi- to provide me everything that I need. That's where your happiness comes in. The humble are happy. If you're humble and realize you have nothing without him, you're happy. Verse 4, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now what that is, it doesn't necessarily mean those who mourn like, let's say, the loss of a loved one. Or the loss of anything. Those who mourn, it can mean that. But in this situation, what it means is a godly sorrow and repentance for the sin that we're in, for our situation. And make no mistake, every single one of us suffers with sin. It's not always the Ten Commandments stone tablet sin, right? But little things, the little things that we are not doing in our lives that are just missing the mark of what God has for us. If that's not how we're living our lives, then we are in sin. Again, that's not to condemn us. That's to realize that we need a Savior. We need Jesus. And that sorrowful attitude, that repentance, is what mourning here means. I am sorrowful and I am repentant that I am not living the best life that I could be. And that's only possible with Jesus. The repentant are happy. Number five, or verse five, Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, that word gentle translates as meek a lot of times. We've heard of meek, meaning uh, what a lot of people's impressions of what the word meek means is a doormat, right? You're just going to lay down and let people kick sand in your face and walk all over you and do everything. That's not what meekness means. Meekness is I have the very power of a risen Christ in me, and it's under control. I don't need to fight for my own justice. I don't need to fight for what I believe is right or for what is owed to me. I have a Savior who's already done that. And thankfully, he took what is truly owed to me and replaced it with what the Father wants for me. That's what that means. Insult and injury are not for us to demand justice. How many people do you know, and again, I'll point back at myself, who spend way too much time thinking, that's not right. I've been done to. Something has been done to me. I need to seek justice for this. Guys, if you spend all your time, if you spend any time trying to seek your own justice for things that have happened to you, you're not going to be happy. Again, you're going to be in a place where you're full of offense towards other people. You're going to be chasing something that God doesn't want you to chase. 
He says, I am the one that will provide justice for you. I am your protector. I am your provider. And that's what he wants us to know. When we spend our days chasing our own justice, you're not going to be happy. Those who do not seek their own justice and rely on the Lord and his promises are happy. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Now, again, this is not the righteousness of the Pharisees. If your hunger and thirst is, I need to look at the letter of the law and make sure everyone around me is constantly following that letter of the law, and you live your life like that, then the enemy's got you to where you are no good to anyone else. You're certainly no good to be used by God in the kingdom. Because the letter of the law has rarely been used to win people to Jesus. It's the spirit of the law. It's the law given to us by Jesus that says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Most important commandments, one and two. Jesus says, take all that stuff and here's what it means. So if your actions are not reflecting the love of Jesus, then we're missing that mark then we're missing what he asked us to do. That's the kind of righteousness that Jesus gives us. Those who know that they need the righteousness of Jesus are happy. Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is not, I've got my foot on your throat, and my sword is right here, and mercy is, I'm not going to kill you. Okay? That might be mercy in that moment. But in this context, what mercy means is genuine compassion for someone who is suffering in sin. Mercy is genuine compassion. Now, it's easy to say, ah, oh, poor them, and just walk away. Mercy here is, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to do what I can to help them. I'm going to intercede for them and do what I can to help them. It is a genuine compassion that causes an outflow of your heart, that causes action on your part. Not just, ah, oh, look, that's too bad. On to Walmart. Okay. <laughs> it's the kind of compassion that puts a burden in your heart. I have to do something. That's mercy. And also understanding that without the mercy and the grace of God, we are exactly in that place. Because without that, we would be beyond the lowest of the low. But thankfully, through Jesus, we have the mercy and grace. We have what we need through him. And recognizing that is what puts us in that place. The merciful are happy. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A clean heart, not a perfect life but a clean heart is what's needed in order to see God. An example of this, we do our deliverance ministry, our sozo deliverance ministry. Many times people come in and they tell me, I'm having a hard time hearing from God. I'm having a hard time. I don't think I've ever seen God in my mind. He's never shown me who he is, and I certainly don't hear from him on a regular basis. Usually the very first thing we do is we ask God to show them is there something hiding in my heart? Is there unforgiveness? Is there unrepentant sin? Something that's in my heart that is separating me from being able to hear God clearly. It's not that God is not speaking to you, but you're not hearing it. 
because your spiritual windshield is so clogged with gunk that you just can't hear or see clearly. So what we do is we clear those things out. We simply ask God to show us where that unrepentant sin is or where those things are that are separating us from God. He pinpoints those, and then we repent. I repent of partnering with that spirit. I repent of that sin, and we walk away from it. Those who accept the cleansing work of Jesus are happy. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The peacemakers, they love, they desire, and they seek peace. That's what they do. They don't seek confrontation, but they are willing to stand in the gap and take the punishment if necessary for us. Now, that's just what Jesus did, but these people are gifted to be able to do that on a daily basis or whenever is necessary. They are willing to take punishment on themselves that we would deserve otherwise. It's a heart of sacrifice. It's a heart of saying, God has given me everything that I have. He has given me every blessing. He's given me the very breath in my lungs. And so if he's calling me to sacrifice that at any time for anyone, I will do that. It's a heart of sacrifice. If the Lord has, if the enemy has you in a place where you're saying, what's mine is mine and I can't give it up. I'm not going to give the last $25 in my wallet to this guy, even though I'm feeling led, but I'll give him five. That's not a sacrificial mindset, and the enemy has you then in a place of being selfish, of saying, I need mine. I need to hang on to mine. It's the last I have. It's the last, last slice of bread in the loaf, whatever it is. The sacrificial mindset says, it was a gift to begin with, and it isn't mine. It was given to me by the Lord, and if he wants me to give it to someone else or to sacrifice for someone else, I will do that. The sacrificial are happy. Verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's the example given to us by Jesus. That's what he did. But it's not something to be sought. There are people who will run like a bull in a china shop into a situation knowing full well it's not going to be received well. And they feel that if they're persecuted or they're mocked or they're made fun of because they're doing that, now they're holy. Because I'm being persecuted for the sake of sharing Jesus. That's not what Jesus would have us do. Be unashamed. Be bold. Absolutely, yes. But also have discernment. Jesus didn't just run around getting in everybody's face, but when the time was right and it needed to happen, he was not ashamed to do that. The steadfast in spirit are happy. It's easy to not be shaken if you know who you are. If you know who you are in Christ and you know who God made you to be and you know what he called you to do, then it doesn't matter. If you're mocked for it, if you're made fun of, if you're persecuted for it, you're not just going to change who you are because it's easy. Jesus had so many opportunities to renounce who he was and avoid all of that persecution, avoid being crucified. At any time, he could have walked away from that, but that's not who he was, and he knew that that's not who he was. And so, church, if we are secure in who we are in Christ, it doesn't matter what comes your way you will be able to face it boldly. 
the steadfast are happy. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven is great for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This mindset is only possible if you trust in God and you trust in his promises and you trust in his word in here and you trust in his son Jesus that what he says is true and is for you. If that's the mindset that you have, then it's easy to have trust in him. But if you have doubts and you're not certain that what he said is true and if you think maybe those promises were for someone else but not for me, It's going to be very hard to have that mindset of blessing when you're insulted and you're persecuted. We have to have that correct mindset, and it only comes through Jesus and listening to his word. So I want to ask you, as we wrap this up, which one of these Beatitudes, as I went through, and I'm listing them all, which one of these do you struggle with? Which one of these did you hear and go, I don't know about that? The other ones are okay. I have a hard time with that one. Or even more so, I'm okay with hanging on to a little bit of that. Which one are the ones that you struggle with? Because here's the truth. That's the very one that the enemy's going to come after you with. That thing that you struggle with, Jesus is teaching right here. If you say, I don't know if I'm blessed if people mock me. I'm okay with a lot of other things. But man, if they mock me, oh, it's on. That's what the enemy's going to come after you with. He is smart, and he's relentless. He knows what will get after you, and what gets you is not the same thing that gets the person next to you. So he might come after your spouse or your friend with one thing and come after you with something entirely different. And where we get in trouble is we say, oh, I don't struggle with that. That's your problem. I'll pray for you. Meanwhile, we have our own thing, and the enemy knows it. And he's trying to find his way in through those cracks in the armor right into your soul. And that's what he uses against you. Learning contentment and happiness with what God has provided you and having a thankful mindset that every single moment of every single day is a gift from God. Every breath that I take is a gift from God. And without him, I am absolutely nothing. If that's the mindset that we have, then we are blessed. And then what Jesus is teaching, those who have all these traits, and you can have one, you can have all of them. But if that's the way that your mind is geared, if that's our mindset, you will be blessed. You will be happy. You will be content. And a happy person, a content person, is somebody that can stand against the schemes of the enemy when something shiny comes along. And it was really tempting. How many marriages are broken apart by the enemy tempting someone with something that is a little bit better, a little bit nicer, a little bit of an upgrade? How many people are rendered completely ineffective in the kingdom because they are pursuing a better job, more money? I don't mean providing for your family. I don't mean that but I mean striving for constantly more, more, more. I need a better job. I need this. I need this because I need a better car, a bigger house. I need, I need all these things. If the enemy's got you in that place, and hear me, there's nothing wrong with providing for your family. 
but understanding that it's God who provides. And so if he's not calling you to fight that fight and travel all over the world searching for a better job and bigger and better and more, if he's not calling you to that, then the enemy's using that to keep you chasing your tail. And the more we chase our tail and we're constantly searching for more, the less he can use us for his purposes. That is not to say, please hear me, it's not to say, that he doesn't bless you by providing these opportunities for you. So don't say, I'm not going to go for that interview on Monday because Pastor Bob said. <laughs> not what I'm telling you. But pray about those things. Are you pursuing more because God says, hey, you need this because it, give, it would let you provide better for your family. It would let you give more to outreaches. It would let you would let you be home more, be more present, provide security, whatever those things are. If the Lord's telling you that, then pursue that. But if your mind is, my neighbor's got a BMW and I don't, then the enemy's got you. Quite simply, the enemy's got you. 2 Corinthians 10.4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. So I want to leave you with this. Worship team can actually go ahead and start coming up. Could it be that the most powerful tool that is available to us to fight the schemes and the lies and the purposes of the enemy, to cut him off at the knees, was given to us the very moment that we accepted Jesus? Let me explain. When we accept Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit, we get the gifts of the Spirit, but we also start growing then in the fruits of the Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, as I read earlier, are from Galatians, right? Which is, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If that's how we operate our lives, we leave very little for the enemy to go after. Very little for the enemy to go after. And we give our Lord, all kinds of opportunities to use us in his kingdom. And every time through our joy, through our supernatural peace in situations that maybe wouldn't merit that kind of peace otherwise, people see those things and they wonder, how is it that you can be so full of joy in this situation? How can you be so peaceful? Aren't you outraged that this was done to you? And you're like, mm, no. I don't love that this was done to me, but I know that my Lord will provide. And so I don't have to fight my own battles because he's fighting these battles for me. If that's the way you live your life, God can use you all day, every day for his purposes. And I would much rather be used for his purposes than for my own. I'd much rather follow his way than my own way. And so as we wrap up this message, here's what I wanna do. We all have those areas in our lives. Again, looking back at the Beatitudes, what is it that the Lord pinpointed that you're hanging on to that maybe you shouldn't? What fear do you have? Which one of these things are you saying, um, I'm still gonna hang on to that outrage. I'm still gonna hang on to that wanting more. I'm still gonna hang on to this or that. Or maybe the Lord has just pinpointed, hey, you're, you're hanging on to some anger. 
Whatever those things is, we have an opportunity right now to renounce that, to repent of that, and walk out of here free of those things and much better able to be used by God for his purposes. And so we're going to do two things. One is I'm going to pray over you here in a moment. And then we're going to go directly into a time of communion as the worship team plays on. So to explain communion, if you are newer here, we've got at the crosses here, we've got juice and bread and crackers. And you can serve yourself there if you'd like. We have gluten-free crackers if you want those. Up front here, we've got wine and bread and crackers. And my wife and I will be serving up here. Let's do it with the realization that what Jesus gave us was not simply eternal life, but he gave us the weapons that we can fight against the schemes of the enemy. One weapon is his word. And if we stick to that word and we let it penetrate our hearts and we live by that, then we've got all the weapons we need. So that's what will be on our minds as we take communion and thank Jesus that he gave himself for that. But before we get to that, I want to pray over you. So would you just receive this prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank you, God, that you, number one, you gave your son Jesus for us so that we would no longer be under the law, but we would be under the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Jesus himself said he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And so, Lord, we want fresh revelation of what that is. Where in our lives have we been maybe hanging on to the law to the point where it's killing those around us? And then, Lord, where are those places in our lives that we are hanging on to something, maybe an ungodly belief in our own abilities, something we've been unwilling to give up, some outrage, some unforgiveness that's clouding our ability to hear you? Father, show us those things now. Show us those things in our lives that we need to repent of and give back to you. Father, I just pray right now that you would speak to everyone where they are and tell them how their life would be different if they are willing to give up this thing that they're holding on to. Father, we want to be in your will. So we just make a covenant with you that these things you have placed on our heart, Lord, we will act on those. And we will be thankful as we walk through our day, through all that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. Folks, if you want to stay in your chair and you just want to keep praying and let the Lord minister to you, you can do that. We have prayer team in the back. If you would like someone to pray with you, you can do that. I realize I went a little bit long. I apologize, but I thank you for indulging me in what I feel is a very important message. We'll be up front serving communion. The worship team will dismiss everybody after a song. I bow before 
uh, before, as, as we dismiss, if you need to go, we understand, but we want to just uh, pray for Pastor Bob as he prepares to leave uh, for two weeks and uh, lots of adventures, lots of hard work, and, but most of all, the, the anointing of God would be on him. So, Weston, you want to just lead us in that? Toby's going to be on the trip too, so come on up to Last minute things, but... It's okay. Here, just get close to this. It's kind of a last minute thing, but uh, we want to pray over Pastor Bob and Toby as they head to Nepal. And the words that the Lord was giving me during the message were that blessed are the feet so we, we pray over Toby and Bob for safety. We commission them as the body of Discover Community Church. We commission them in the name of Jesus to take the uh, gospel to Nepal, a place that's thirsty for the gospel, but is also dangerous. So we pray for safety. We ask God to camp angels around their uh, vehicles, around the airplanes, about all their transportation. And more than that, even that, Lord, we ask that you reveal to Bob and Toby how to minister to these people. Uh, the scripture of Paul, so Paul talks about being all things to all people, to take the gospel to whomever needs to hear it. So we ask that the Holy Spirit work in Bob and Toby in that way. Let the Holy Spirit would just reveal to them, this is what to say, this is how to say it, this is where to go. And we ask, Lord, that you would move in a mighty way and there be testimonies when they come back of how the gospel, how people will reach for the gospel in places where it's really, really hard for hard soil, hard soil. But we ask in advance that you soften the hearts and the people there, that they'll be prepared to receive Bob and Toby. They'll be prepared to receive Jesus in Bob and Toby. And Lord, we pray for the families while they're away, for their peace, for their comfort, that, you, that they know, that they know that God has all authority over this trip and that he will bring them back safely and with testimonies to share with the rest of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So we bless you as you go. Uh, we're going to continue to worship. Feel free to just spend time here in God's presence and receive prayer. We have prayer teams in back continuing just to pray for people as needed. But we bless you. Have a great week. Be the church. Shine a light. And uh, we'll see you soon.